Clow, Ear Connacht, a tall, Sitcha, Suspidel, Igunamara, a Curran Lara, a Glow, Arashta, the Yermit. Gurmahavut, a Vikal, Okad Horakaba, and Shola Larashin, Gondad, Anish, Aragadi, Corsi Templukta, Lehemad. Gurv Magut Ayermid V Greta Thornburg and Maskbrash August Scormila Agoji Ella Egahar Glasku on Shakhtan Shilkacha Eglershu Egwinya Nakovgola Kopfushe Hogan Gunivi Eroja Greta Thornburg August Namilcha Ella Freelershu Ershodna Glasku on Shakhtan Shilkacha Egkovgol Eroja Kopfushe Toshi Hara ve Kainchak fuin Ashbadol Kunkin ato Dainsha eg on Kovgol Gadisha. Major Leshon Blan Gugnivu Eroja Adolshig on Realtis on Shakhtan Shakacha. Tofemari on Vihosta fuin Lyad Sunri ato Luicha Lenagosna fein. Ban Kovgol Eroja Kopfuhishe Inawil Sprokena o Laganamak Ladol in Lek. La Ahru Eroja Ershul Gadion Ina Shohuan. Full show for Yon Sunri August Brokna Dona Harnolka Egsula Galua Anvlin Shohuan. Erashtit Ayermid. Milibuikus Ahmed. Islergul Shay er Gokdina and Nulgus Yenuv Majulesh and Garche Maraja. Anish, scale Jarfuk of Fader, Queen Colling Og, Darbanam Cleo Smith. Gurmagat a Yermid. To Colling Og, Kereblina Dish, Adimig er Eri o Lucher Campola, San Astro. Aimsha Ignapolini, Augus E. Slauncha Vulture. Vicordak Moor er War, Octlaw Jag, er Bun in Iract Ia Aimshu. Er on Sheulaw Jag Jerfor, Hui Cleo Smith er Eri o Fubble on Chilig, er Lucher Campola, Igantar Irgota, in Irhana Hastralia, in Akalabalia Caravon, Timpo Mila Kilometer, Ohui de Perth. Kuritus le Kurjak Olwar, Er Mwer, Er Halav, Augustaner, in Irak Chakta Erhi. Vitorum is Ked Polin Parchuk Sakordach. Hangahas Eran Khalin Og, Cleo Smith, Tevistig de Hak, Avi Fui Glas. Nero Ada on Lohar Kampola. Nor Honig Polini Eran Kalin, Cleo is an undumma dorchilo. Vishi in a hainer, Sichak Eganam. Tofar Acho, She Blina is Tricha, Dish Gaffa Egnapolini. Alaste to Yermid. Gurmahagot, a father. Anish Nurto, Austin, Texas, Fui Hrago, Jaharla, and Lijani. Vi Kjolkurm Osterworld Ershul Eran Ina, on Kugulo de Saun, Nura Harla Tragod Ufosak, Kern on Kjolchur August Rapoli, Travis Scott on Murakaj, Shil Ershul Gokblin, San Energy, in Austin, Texas. Vi Scott Ekasa Eran Stosta Nura Dimig on Slua Osmacht Erfad. Vi on Imrka Dina. Egon Gilkurm, August Nirevshid, Eglanunch, Narielica, Avanin Leshlonsha, August Savolchakt. For Uchter Boss, August Gertig, 
three cades dina ella emaskna dina a four boss vi birch degori kov malashin her doctori bukal nimli in the dish edov devar drugi dirch traviscott gugurfe she argid erfold on a chilig na near spartak kun ik asna sukardi tonias mona troka dina eg tart costly eguinia traviscott August on Rapali Ella Drake, Erashdit a Yermid. Puyakis Lot, Emmet. Erashdit, a father, Lahai Corsi Sport. Good of Mahogat a Yermid. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Achan Tommy Wynette, Trod and Sail. Kainter Hochri, the Varhaler, on Gro of E. Tommy Vokt. Och, Isomi or Achan Mano, on Erfodan Down. War on Lina Shin, August Eidig Delo La Keshna Eg Sula on Sail. In Onen Nenirati a Tojenta La Kan Katu Homan Lukas Grail. In Onen Nenirati a Tojenti a Kan Katu Homan Lukas Grail, Mano Awalu Ischak Sanagriot. Ni Hogok Dinner Erbe Er Magi Farley A Movishi Fein Egmohnu Egmohu Grev Konstaki Brescia Rimpi. The Vara Hinchkina. Is e on Ked van Rave, Arena Retroct, Er Kleha Crave, Ider Hunte, Nam Var Ni Jarna Hana E, Kleha Mianor, Pella Avi on, Fermanach in Ag Introma, Eg Park Brewster in Inish Catlin. Nirv E Gurv E on Lovanye, on Ked Law, Eg Magi Farley, Hunte on Hawan, Dolchon Parker, August Fadog in a clock. August Carty Ildota in a poker. To Ahna Furlahan Urhi, Leblinta, Mardina Dena Hithigi is Kumasi, Ohe fell na man de. Guramaka to Father. Jaskale, a maximake shin, Buks Lydia. Well, Shinna will on Shomer Nuukta. Guramaka Guiv of Sukh Ashraklin, August Baimi Jarash, Morak Leshen Nuukt is Jeremy. Gadishin. This show is proud to be sponsored by AIB, located in Friscati Shopping Centre, Blackrock. For more information on accounts, visit www.aib.ie. A fan favourite up now being the soccer show. The soccer team have prepared a brilliant show with a range of interviews coming from players and pundits and even a quiz. Our sponsor for this show is Nearform, so a big thank you to them. Nearform is very happy to sponsor Talking Sport on Blackrock College Radio to support the St. Vincent de Paul Christmas Appeal, helping the families and children who are most in need during this festive season. Good afternoon, listeners. My name is James Mungi, and I'm delighted to bring you our soccer show in association with Nearform. And I'm Sam Merrin. We are honoured to have in studio with us today Dara Maloney. We will also have an interview with Andy Lyons, we will hear from the public on their perception of the Irish national team. We will also have Mark Dignam, Brian Kerr, and Republic of Ireland women's team manager, Farah Paul, in for interviews. We also have a quiz involving Mr O'Brien and senior soccer team captain, Max Mooney. Now to welcome today's guest, Mr Dara Maloney. How are you? Good to be back. Yeah. Thanks. Dara Maloney is an Irish sports presenter working primarily on RTE. Maloney joined RT in 1995 from local Dublin radio station FM 104 and was the studio host of weekly show Premier Soccer Saturday on RT2. 
He has also commented on two FIFA World Cups, three European Football Championships and numerous UEFA Champions League games. Dara can also be heard during the Irish Championship season commenting on the top games. Thank you for joining us, Dara. Really appreciate you taking the time you're, out of your busy schedule. You're to welcome. Be able it's to great to be back. It's, it's a quick year. Very mm. quick year. Yeah. Dear, dear. Dara, after mm. a tough start to the qualifying campaign, we really saw some good performances and more importantly results in our last few games. What are your thoughts on the Stephen Kenny round today? Um, well, I suppose like it, it, it didn't start in the best way possible. I think it looks very different now. If you look at, say, since the Luxembourg defeat, um, like I think, did somebody say we've taken eight points out of 12? I'm not sure on the numbers, but I suppose the general point I would make is that the graph is certainly pointing up and you can, you can see the improvements that have been made um, and the improvements that Stephen has made. The team is more settled. We have an idea now of how they're going to play. Um, we know kind of what shape they'll play, what sort of tactical uh, format they will use and stuff like that. So, you know, it has settled down. It's been very hard for um, for Stephen and the management team, people leaving the backroom team, new faces coming in. Um, but, you know, look, the, the graph is certainly pointing up and I don't think there should be any sort of further speculation about will he get a new contract and stuff like that. I think he will. It's just a matter of when. I know people are saying, like Liam Brady was saying with us, let's wait until after the Nations League games in June. Um, I don't know what sort of a benefit there would be to that, but it certainly is a, it's, it's a view because Liam Brady says it, you consider it. Um, but I, I think from a number of months ago, the FAI said they were going to look at it maybe as early as this week. And I think for the manager and also for the players who have all been very supportive of Stephen Kenny, um, I think you will have a situation now they will say, look, there's no point in, in waiting. Let's just get this thing done and give Stephen and the rest of the management team till um, after, you know, up until the European Championships, that qualification campaign. I think he's really uh, kind of made his case stronger after Absolutely. these recent results. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, it, I know people want to see them beat teams of kind of equal stature, if you know what I mean. So the, the Nations League will put us with teams that supposedly are around the same standard as us and look that's a fair point but it, it has all it has steadied down quite nicely um, I'm sure you know uh, mistakes have been made as they always are and that's what that's what sport that's what life's about you make mistakes you learn from them and fix them and make sure they don't happen again so you know we've what three clean sheets in a row um, you know a number of very exciting young players and the established players the Colemans and the Hendricks and those kind of guys have clearly bought into what Stephen and his coaching team are doing and, um, you know, I, 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 th I think the debate ended the other night after the Luxembourg match. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Last week, a few of us went into Baggett Street to ask the public about their thoughts on the Irish team. What were your thoughts on the Irish team last night? Uh, I thought they played very well. Um, excellent passing, some good energy. They're very calm with posing the ball, so really positive. What are your thoughts on Stephen Kenny? I think give him a new contract back him, give him another couple of years. What were your thoughts on the Irish team last night? I thought it was pretty good. Um, we were hardly going to win, but I think we put up a good performance. What are your thoughts on Stephen Kenny? I think he should be given another chance. He seems to be on the right path, seems to have the players and the population behind What were your thoughts on the Irish team last night? Uh, played very well, a much improved performance from recent games uh, I think Stephen Kelly has been very unlucky in some of the bigger games we played well and we just didn't get the luck but he seems to have got the right balance and formation now and things are looking better than heretofore 
What are your thoughts on Stephen Kenny? No, personally, I like him. Uh, very young team when we're re- rebuilding, so you have to give him a chance. Uh, uh, there's no uh, stick-out candidate out there that springs to mind that, w- that that could take over, you know, so I'd leave him out on the next Euros. All right, thank you very much. Uh, what did you think of the game last night and what did you think of the performance? It was good, yeah. Yeah, they, they played well enough. They, they passed the ball around quite well, all right, yeah. So I was impressed with that, all right, yeah. Uh, and how do you think Stephen Kenny will do in the future? And do you think he'll be, like, a good manager in the future? I think he's um, he's had a rough run of it, obviously, with the pandemic and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the ability of the squad is a bit limited, all right, yeah. So, yeah, I think he's, he's the right man for the job. And... There, there isn't too many options out there, so give him a chance. Uh, so, what did you think of the Ireland game yesterday? Uh, to be honest, a bit of a damp squib, quite a boring game. It, when, when a game ends nil all, there's not much to say about it. Um, Ireland played, attempted to play a little bit of football, which was a positive sign, but overall, not a great game. What are your thoughts on Stephen Kenny? Uh, I think the jury's still out on him. He's made some improvements over the last couple of games, but whether it's good enough to go forward with, I don't know. I think he lacks international experience, and uh, but the jury's still out. Uh, thank you. What were your thoughts on the Irish team last night? I thought it was good for the team that they had. I thought they put in a good performance, and they, um, I think they did the best with what they had. They did well. What are your thoughts on Stephen Kenny? Um, I think he needs more time, and if he had a few more players, I don't think it's all on Stephen. I think he'll do all right if he gets the time. Thank you. Jason Knight was involved in all three goals on Sunday evening. Gavin Bazuna has been our standout player for the past year, and Chiodose Ogbene has two goals in three games. All three have come through the League of Ireland underage system. Dara, is this a coincidence or has the underage system improved? I think the underage system has improved. Like we've been watching the, the twenty ones and when Stephen Kenny was manager, like he spoke the other night directly after the game about how, you know, his knowledge and his awareness of all these young players coming through the system, that that has helped him and he spoke about, you know, knowing Jason Knight's character uh, and knowing what sort of a lad he was and having full faith in, in bringing him in. Um, like Jason, I think that he only played two out of the qualifiers in the campaign. Uh, one of them was the, the Luxembourg match and then he got injured. Um, that sort of bizarre uh, collision with his manager on the training ground in Derby um, and that was unfortunate he had to get back to full fitness because it was quite a serious injury but you know we, we are producing better players so obviously things over the last five, six, seven years have worked um, you know a lot of the coaches now are, are coaching you know it's a very high standard because of the UEFA accreditation and the A licence and B licence and the pro licence and all that stuff so you know the coaches are getting the right type of education and you know there is that that pathway through to senior football that they had in place for, for quite a while so you know we're seeing these players coming through it's just now we have a manager who's willing to take a chance on them and I suppose you just don't know like people are saying well what about Adam Ida um, like I thought he was brilliant in the, the away match in Portugal he was absolutely phenomenal he had Cancelo and Diaz behind him who were like you know 140 million valuation between the two of them and he kind of bullied them around the place you know the, the last couple of games have not gone that well for him but you know he's a young player and that's going to happen and perhaps um, at Norwich he maybe needs to get a move away from there a loan move or something like that to play regular football you've seen like Troy Power um, has gone out on loan twice. He's now with MK Dons, and you know he he has incredible talent. And you know every people who watch him regularly just rave about his ability. And I've no doubt that will come to fruition. But he just has to, I suppose, guess experience of 
senior football and play as regularly as possible. But like you, you mentioned, Chidozi Ogbene, like people knew about him from Cork City, um, and like he's playing at Rotherham. And I remember saying the other night, you know, how long are Rotherham going to hold on to this guy because you know he has scored two goals in what is it four or five caps? I think. Three games early yeah, season. like it's it's some return, you know, um, and. He's got incredible pace, uh, and I, I really—he's still raw, but like that's what you expect, you know. I know he's 24, but um, you know th- th- he's only going to go one way, hopefully, and that's to improve. So, you know, and Jason Knight is um, a serious talent, and um, you know, as long as he can stay fit, you know, you can imagine a midfield with him and. and Cullen and Hendrick, for example, if there's going to be three of them in there, because uh, Cullen has been super, and you see that, you know, the experience that that fella's had playing, he's played every game for Anderlecht in their league this year in Belgium, so um, you can see the benefit of that, and I think he's 25 or 6, maybe, guessing, but uh, you know, play regular football and that's it benefits your international uh, career and look we have a number of players who are not necessarily playing regular football with their clubs unfortunately uh, some of them have gone out on loan and then there's look it's an old thing going back years where um, you know, even to the 80s and 90s where, where Irish players maybe were not regular with their clubs, but they would come and play with Ireland and you wouldn't think there was any kind of match rustiness at all. It, they would just take to it like the, the ducks to water sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think this, that system is working and a lot of young players are being introduced and we saw, uh, you know, some of them last night. What is your opinion on young players moving abroad to countries other than like England or Scotland, such as like... Kevin Zeffi recently mm. moved to Inter Milan. Like, what were your thoughts on? That's the way I think. That's the way it's going to have to happen now, um, because of Brexit. And it was one of the many, many, many unintended consequences of Brexit that if you know a player was to be signed by an English or Scottish club, that they would have to be eighteen years of age. And and like by then, if you go on past experiences things are perhaps too late uh, unless the whole family move over and live in the country I think that's another option and that may happen with, with players who you know if somebody says that's the next Messi or the next Liam Brady or the next whatever Robbie Keane that will probably happen and could happen no guarantees with it but it could happen so I, I think um, that it, it's going to be easier for our players to, to go abroad didn't like Rob Heffernan's son was was he was on, tra- on trial in Milan, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah, Rome as well. Yeah, like that. That's and if you know, those clubs now are going to be looking out for Irish players because it's going to be easier to to place them abroad. Um, and I think the Zeffi thing is is the case in point. And and like you know, like these clubs have fantastic underage systems. They don't have the money that there is in England. But you know, I think if we're going to get our players. Um, to big clubs, why not have them move outside uh, or to the rest of Europe? I think that's definitely the way to go. But you're going to see it happening more and more, and you're going to see uh, the the European clubs take more of an interest in what happens here at underage level. You know. Hmm. Um, so earlier this week, Daniel Chum had the pleasure of meeting up with former League of Ireland and Republic of Ireland manager Brian Kerr, as they discussed the current team and the League of Ireland. Good afternoon. I'm delighted to have former Republic of Ireland manager Brian Kerr here with us on Blackwell College Radio. Brian, how are you? I'm good, Daniel. All well. Uh, looking forward to the international games later in the week, uh, on which I have plenty of work to do in uh, analysis in Virgin Media. Thanks. So, Brian, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment? Well, as I've just said to you, Daniel, working um, for Virgin Media later in the week and international access we've got um, 
when the football from Thursday on, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So it's a busy spell. I'm due to work um, on five five days out of those six. And we've also got, you know, the regular coverage with um, of the Champions League on Wednesdays and Europa League on Thursdays. And um, I walk in on Sundays usually for news talk, doing co-commentary on the game uh, in the in the Premier League. So my main work at the moment is uh, is in the media area, for media media news talk mainly. And um, other than that, I've a few other projects going on as a reunion organised of uh, the St. Patrick's Athletic team. Uh, the last league winning team that I managed um, and we're going to do that today before the FAI Cup final between St. Patrick, Patrick's Athletic and Bohemians which should be a great weekend really looking forward to that as I'm still going down to watch St. Pat's on a regular basis and uh, it's one of the, the really, really uh, close things to my heart I, I, I love the ground down there I, I like the people I love the club so uh, that's kind of mainly where I'm at. And a few other things going on as well, but they're the main things I'm, I'm involved in at the moment. So, uh, one of your first managerial roles was with St. Pat's, where you were hugely successful. Can you tell us a little bit about your time in the League of Ireland and the many good players you managed and came up against? Well, it, you know, that came along when I was still quite a, a young man, but I've I'd been managing an awful lot before that one. You know, it's probably the first high-profile managerial role I had. So I managed a lot of games in schoolboy football and uh, um, underage football. And I had worked with the um, I'd worked with the colleges international squad. I played with the Irish technical colleges um, international team, and I'd, I'd I'd managed the team, and I'd worked with the Sensational player, uh, lads like John McDonald, John Tracy, 
Uh, now and then, I from go like Peter Carpenter, Ricky O'Flaherty, Mick Moody, I mean, I could go on and on. For ages, Daniel Nation players, we had a part school. There were great players, and many of them involved in coaching now, players who played against. The best teams at that time were over over the period of years, it would have been Sean Crowe initially, then, then kind of took over, and then the dark. Uh, lots of hard battles with with with, with Bohemians and, and Shelbourne too. A lot of players moved around from club to club at that time. Not so much from us, um, but around the other clubs from Shamrock to the Dock and, and Derry. So, likes of Nick Neville, a brilliant player at that time. Uh, um, who was a thing of uh, Liam Coyle at Derry, sensational centre forward. Alex Christich, who was. Um, yeah, he was um, a, a Serbian player. He played in, in Derry, exceptional player. Like some Mark Rutherford, played for a few different clubs against us. Brilliant, brilliant players. Uh, brilliant player. Um, who else would be outstanding over the years uh, against us? Uh, Paul Dillon, who was a smashing player for those those clubs, Rovers, Derry, and. Um, Shelbourne later on, Popborn, another great player, played with Shelbourne in the middle of middle of the field, Noel King when he was playing. You know. So, you know, we not not a lot of fellas that ended up having massive careers internationally, but they were brilliant League of Ireland players for years and years and won lots of trophies with the different teams. But we we, we always had a, a hard walking honest group of players who uh managed to achieve well we won a couple of league titles that was the main thing and um, a lot of them went on to have you know good good careers in coaching and some are still involved very much so in coaching the likes of John McDonald Eddie, Eddie, Gorm, Eddie Gormley um, Paul and play. 
and it was awkward for him. It wouldn't be. It would have been a sad way for him to end his international career um, by not going to the World Cup, and that was the end of it. Having been uh, involved in helping the team qualify for the World Cup by beating the Netherlands in the playoffs, uh, I was sorry, he was around for that one, wasn't it? But um, so I. Um, yeah, we, we had a long discussion, but then, you know, the, uh, Alex Ferguson came out to the scene and told me that there was a problem and that, that Roy didn't understand the extent of the injuries he was playing with and carrying. He'd had a hip problem that he'd had opera- an operation on prior to this. So, um, that basically postponed his return to the team. Um, I I kind of I didn't leave it at that. I was prepared to, to go again and have another have another uh, try at it. Uh, and so quietly in the background, I, I, I said about that after we played out my first games were my qualification for the uh, for the European Championships in 2004. We were already on the back foot in the last couple of games in Switzerland and Russia. Um, but you know, once that was played out, once that group was played out, unfortunately, didn't make it. We made a good recovery in the game, uh, but we lost the last match to Switzerland away, and uh, we needed to win to give ourselves to get ourselves into the to the playoffs position. But after that, I, I decided to have another go uh, at trying to get Roy back. And uh, we got there. You know, it wasn't too hard to convince him at that stage. Um, I think he, he he very much, in his head, was a desire to get back and play for us. And uh, ultimately, he did a friendly against Romania. I remember we had four friendlies in the summer of uh, 2004. And he came back to one of those friendlies and then he played in... I think he played in eight of the qualifiers for the World Cup in 2006. He missed a couple of games, one with injury and one with suspension because he picked up two yellow cards. Unfortunately, he missed a match with France and Dublin that we are. It's crucial to our, our hopes of qualification. But, uh, but, uh, there was a bit of walk in it. I was well prepared when I met him. And we didn't have any any relationship before that I'd never really dealt with him in any detail prior to that but uh, as I said we got on well and uh, we got on well during this time when I was manager too we, uh, we, worked, we worked quite well together I think I certainly respected him and he respected me and, and, uh, and we had no great difficulties uh, Did you ever consider managing a club level in the UK and more importantly do you miss managing on a daily basis? Um I did uh, consider working uh, in management in the UK, but um, after I finished up in the Irish job and after I finished in the Faroes as well. But um, when I thought about it, I, I wouldn't. I I wasn't happy with the direction that the game was going in England. The type of owners that all all along the different levels. It was unlikely I was going to get a job in the Premier League. More likely, I might have got to the lower end of the championship. Or further down in the pyramid, uh, I, I wasn't. I had a high profile in in England, uh, and that was delivered on my own part. I wasn't able to move around freely over there without much attention from the public or the media. And um, so, but I, I think I, I, I probably could have got a, a job 
at a club, but I guess I, I didn't really want to do it. I didn't like, you know, the short term, the short termism involved in the approach at clubs in England if you're not winning straight away. And it, See it this week, so many managers been sacked on this week, Dean Smith got uh, losing his job. Um, Santo was at Spurs, so Dean Smith at Aston Villa, and you know, a few, a few other managers, Daniel Fark at Norwich, that's only in the Premier League. There's been several others in, in the lower league in the, that's in the last week. So, you know, even at that time, the, the Span of managers outside the Premier League, I think, is was about a year, or maybe eleven months. Um, I think it was fifteen months in the Premier League. So it just wasn't something that I was attracted to. I, I would have wanted to go into a, uh, a club where someone would have faith and trust in you, and would let you have it, prepare to stick with you, and let you build something um, over a longer period of time, along the lines of what I've done, done at St Patrick's Athletic. So I didn't think that was very likely. So for that reason, I chose not to go there. They were mismanaging on a daily basis. Um, no, I don't. I don't miss uh, that. I do that at some stage. I mismanaging at, at international level because that's where I've been for for the last number of years. Uh, in management, I've been working with the FAI for about nine years as, as a manager. sponsor Talking Sport on Blackrock College Radio to support the St. Vincent de Paul Christmas Appeal, helping the families and children who are most in need during this festive season. Um, Dara, would Brian Kerr be a possible replacement for Rude Doctor? Well, it's, it's, uh, I suppose I have to declare Brian uh, is a friend of mine, so um, I would give him any and every job I possibly could. I've known Brian a long, long time, and he's been a massive help to me. Of course he would. Um, I suppose you'd have to ask Brian whether or not he was, he was interested in that. I think they have, they've, they've changed the title. I think it's like director of football now as opposed to what Rude Doctor's title was. Um, but, you know, they'll, they'll go through, there'll be a process of... of selecting candidates and stuff like that and look personal opinion you know if Brian was interested in that I think he'd be fantastic at it you know so former Blackrock College pupil and current Bohemians footballer Andy Lyons was kind enough to take time out of his busy schedule 
to do a phone interview. Andy is the youngest ever player to captain the League of Ireland side. He was only in fifth year at the time and is a current Irish under-21 player. I'm here with Andy Lyons. What's it been like in the Ireland under-21s camp for the past few weeks? Yeah, look, lads, it's, uh, uh, thanks very much for having me on, first and foremost. Um, but no, look, it's been brilliant. Um, this is our this is our first ca- their fifth camp of the year, like so. Um, you kind of meet up every every one or two months, so you don't really see most of the lads for for a good while, the guts of a month anyway. So, um, but no, it's brilliant. You know, kind of way, it's really professional. Um, we train every day. All the food's done for us, and all the kids done for us, and all this kind of stuff. So, um, no, it is brilliant. It's really good. Um, and obviously, we had two tough games this month against Italy and Sweden. So, um, Italy were a very good side, obviously. We just narrowly lost out two 0 but last night, thankfully, we beat a good Sweden side one um, 0 Like so, um, it really puts us back in contention to to get through the group. So I think we're third at the moment with a game in hand over Sweden. So um, as I said, last night's result is, is a massive one for us. But yeah, overall during the week, it's uh, it's great. As I said, because you haven't seen the lads for for one or two months, or whatever it is. But um, when you get back into camp, it's, it's brilliant to see all the lads and as well all the training and stuff is, is, is excellent the coaching is brilliant so you know it's, 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 it's overall a really good experience yeah it sounds great uh, how does it feel representing um, Ireland for the under 21s yeah I think it's uh, it, it's one of those cliches I think but it's it's, it's a massive honour I think it's um, not only for yourself but I think for your family and for everyone that's close to you that kind of way you know what I mean it's all the I suppose the hours and hard work you've put in over the years and you know, when you're kind of singing there, singing the national anthem in a stadium or wherever it may be, it kind of all seems like it's it's all worthwhile. Like so, no, it is. It's, it's brilliant. You know, the kind of way because you know, at the end of the day, you're representing your country um, and not just a club or or whatever it may be. So, there's so many things that come into it. Even even the school of Black Rock. Like I feel like I'm representing Black Rock every time I step out to that pitch. Like, um, along with family, friends, my club, everything that comes with it. Like so. Um, no, I said a lot does come with it, but it's, um, yeah, it's the best feeling in the world, I must say. Yeah. Uh, you have a few big games coming up for Bow soon. Uh, how do you plan on preparing for those? Yeah, so I'm actually I was just shouting to Ev there. I was, I'm still in camp with Ireland, like so. Obviously, we had a game last night, so I'm going to be leaving the hotel room in a few minutes, and then we um, we have a game against Sligo on Friday. So um, basically, at the moment, the way it stands is. We're still fighting for Europe in the league, and then obviously you have the cup final next week. So, um, I think twenty thousand odd fans of uh, tickets have been sold for the game next week. So that's obviously it looks after itself. It's a cup final, but we have um, we have another cup final to come before that against Ligo on Friday. So, uh, yeah, look, it's good to have a week's preparation before the cup final um, after the Sligo game. So you know we'll get all our tactics done and all that kind of stuff within the week. Um, so that'll be good, um, and then obviously. Look, it's the last two games of the season, so we've got to give it everything. Yeah. We know you play right back, but have you ever been tempted to play anywhere else? Uh, I wasn't always a right back, lads, I must say. Um, when I first came to Black Rock, I actually signed for Joey's as a striker. Um, so that was a bit mad. And then I went from a striker to a right winger, then back to right back. And then occasionally play left back as well. So, um, yeah, I wasn't always a right back, as I said. Just, just wasn't good enough to play anywhere else, to be honest. Uh, what advice would you give uh, young footballers out there? Uh, one bit of advice I'd give... I think trust the process is one thing I'd say. Uh, very simple. 
in terms of words, but I think very effective because same in many sports, I think there's there's so many things that go on, um, so many things that go your way, so many things that don't go your way, um, so many things you have to get over, so many obstacles that you have to avoid. So, um, like such things as injury is just part and parcel of the game. Um, team selection, managers not picking you, all this kind of stuff. So I think once you believe in yourself and, and you stick to your process, um, I think the results will come because overall there is a lot of obstacles, as I say, um, but it's how you deal with them and how you react to them is, is what matters. What are your goals for the, the future? Uh, my goals for the future, I suppose, obviously at the moment, it's, um, you know, I want to have a career in the game. I think that's the, that's the biggest one for me. So wherever that may take me, I don't know yet. Um, but as I said, every day that, that's my goal and that's what I'm working towards. So I think that's the biggest one for me. Um, obviously representing my country was always a goal of mine and thankfully at underage I picked that but obviously the next step is international is senior so um, yeah I think just having a career that, that I'm proud of and, and knowing that I've given everything that I can into it um, I think that's definitely definitely the goal for me uh, How did it feel playing in Europe for Bose? Yeah Europe was special uh, I must say Europe was special and I think it just it, it was extra special the fact that we played the Aviv as well because it was the first time for myself so the fact that we played three times in, in a month there was, was unbelievable you know so um, I think it's just even the spectators that were there was in the midst of COVID and just kind of coming out with the COVID I suppose and getting I think it was 8,000 fans there three times in a row was just it was unbelievable like so um yeah, I think I think that was brilliant because especially after the year and a half before that, we hadn't had any fans in any stadium. So um, to actually give give our fans something um, that they hadn't seen in a while was also was really special. I suppose from a personal point of view, playing in Aviva in the Aviva was um, yeah, it was it was just unbelievable. It was something that you know you dream of as a kid, um, and yeah, no, it was it was really really cool. What's the um, training schedule for Bohemians during the week? Yeah, so we're fairly we're fairly full time, I suppose. We're we're labelled as part time, but we train a lot. So we train depending on the depending on the week. Like we may have for the last month, we've had two games a week. Like so, if we have two games a week, we'll, we'll train a little less. But if we only have one game a week, we'll probably train about five five six times a week. Um, and then the game of the weekend. So, but as I said, the last few weeks because of. Uh, because of me and the two other lads here, the 21s, our schedule has actually been completely bonkers, to be honest. So we've been playing Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday for the last month, like, um, which means that we train less. Like, and, and obviously, if you're playing more, you're not doing as much in the session, so it's a lot lighter. But yeah, on an average week, it'd be five to six times a week. Um, then you do your own gym and stuff like that. Um, obviously, in the training ground, there's gym, gym stuff there, so you can do all your work there. Um, and then obviously, the match, match on a Friday night or a Saturday. All right, Andy. Well, many thanks for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule and best of luck in the Cup final next week. Thanks, Andy. Thanks very much, lad. Cheers thanks. for having me. So, Dara, mm. the, F the FAI Cup final is on the 26th of November between St. Pat's and Bohemians. Who do you feel will come out on top? Oh, you're asking me a prediction. Um, it'll be a draw. No, I, I don't... I genuinely don't know. And that's one of the, the things that I'm dying to see about that game because, you know, they're they're... Uh, two teams that have a great rivalry. Okay, maybe people in Dublin might think it's the traditional rivalry, but uh, it, any Dublin derby is a great rivalry. Um, and I have to say, I've had good 
experiences at both clubs and I'm just dying to see it, you know, um, like the, the job that has been done um, at Pats with Stephen there and then with Keith at, at Bohemians and all the young players. I think they're talking about it kind of being a tricky winter for them, but I think that's like that's the way it is at every um, League of Ireland club with contracts and stuff like that. So players come and go and, and that is, that's their right and they have to do what is uh, best for themselves. Um, so we'll see. I think we're going to have a big crowd. Um, like it's, 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 I suppose the FAI get the pricing correct and get it right, and there'll be lots of families there and lots of kids there to experience the whole thing. So that is one of the, you know, it, it makes such a difference when you have the match being played in a fantastic stadium and with a big crowd and a big atmosphere, uh, and I'm dying to see it. So maybe it'll go to penalties. A few of them have. <laughs> yeah. um, so have you been following the other 21s this week? Yes, I have. Absolutely. Um, look, the, the Italian game was always going to be tough for them. Um, but last night finished in a great way with the late goal. Um, you know, the match itself was kind of, I suppose, even enough. It wasn't fab up until that point. But we won't really care about that now. And we don't this morning because we got the late winner. And, you know, the, the team are still in the mix. So um, I'm sure the, the Italian match probably was a bit of a shock. Uh, you know, but, but the Italians were very, very strong, and look, that's what you expect from them. Um, they're going to be, you would think, in the, you know, when, before the draw was made, they'd be one of the teams that people would be looking at as potential winners of the whole thing. Never mind who qualifies. So, you know, look, as we mentioned earlier on, a lot of really good work has been done at underage level. Um, you know, the likes of Gavin Kilkenny, Connor Coventry, Kilkenny, particularly. You know, you could have him in the senior team now. And actually, there was the other point that was made last night on the commentary that there's four or five of those guys who are eligible to play for the 21s who could have played last night but are in the senior squad um, now whether the, you know, the, the merits of that the rights and wrongs of it um, I leave that for others to, to go at but that's just the plain fact and that's I suppose where Stephen Kenny has brought the senior team and with all those young players coming through um, you know it, maybe it could have been a, a different thing but I think you've got to be fair to the players who were have been with the group and who have not been called into the senior team to, to let them have their, their day in the sun um, albeit on a very cold night in Tala Thanks. Um, yeah. So during the week, Mark Dignam, current UCD footballer and past pupil of Blackrock College, called in to talk to Jack Gormley and Jack McSherry ahead of his first, his ahead of his big first division playoff game against Bray this Friday. I'm here with Mark Dignam and Jack McSherry today. Mark's a footballer for uh, UCD, so thanks for coming in, Mark. We've had a few questions. Yeah, no worries. Uh, what's the biggest game you've played in during your career? Uh, for me, it was probably so. When I was younger, I played in the UEFA Youth League, so uh, we, we'd won the under 19s league uh, the year before. So we got to go. We played Melda in Norway. It was two legs, so we beat them here two one. I think they underestimated us, thinking, "Oh, we're just used to these." So we beat them, and that was the time where your man Erling Haaland was playing for. Yeah. So that was a big game for uh, me. He was pl playing over in uh, Melda in a couple, and that was in front of a couple of fans. Then uh, otherwise it would probably be when I was up in the Premier Division. It's just uh, you get some of them Bows and Rovers fans uh, when they pack out the stadium. It's a yeah, it's a big game. Uh, what are your long-term footballing goals? I think as a footballer, you always are dreaming of uh, the big time. So uh, whether you can make it over to the Premier League or uh, week in week out in front of thousands would be uh, long term. And uh, obviously, you never know the path you're going to take. But uh, that's the end goal. Uh, do you have any player that you like looked up to or tried to use their play style in your own game? 
Well, I was a Chelsea fan when I was younger, so uh, I always loved, uh, he's now Shell's manager, but uh, Damien Duff was a, a big inspiration. And then when he uh, left, Frank Lampard. So, uh, yeah, them two, I've always uh, looked at Lampard probably more later years and just uh, seen how he plays, joins the attacks and uh, all that. Uh, what is the most important thing in your game that you learned from manager Andy Myler? Uh, good question. Um, I'd say he's very he's very good at just not jumping. Like when he drives into, so if you see a lot of times people just attracted to the ball and they'll just be like, I can nick this. But then if they get done by the player, then they're leaving a massive gap in behind, and it's just me- like the whole press is gone. So he's drilled into us. Don't jump, don't jump, don't jump. So we just keep them in front, and as soon as we're ready to press, we go. I think for me, I probably was bad at that, and that I'd just be so eager to get the ball back that sometimes I just leave my arse out the window, basically. So uh, he's definitely, uh, uh, I don't know uh, the right word, but uh, he's definitely uh, controlled me into being a bit more defensive. Uh, did you ever have anyone who you looked up to for advice or encouragement, like a parent or a coach or a teacher? Well, my dad always had, has played football, so uh, he did League of Ireland with Rovers and Shells and UCD, of course. So uh, I'd always ask him uh, his thoughts, especially after games, and uh, get the honest opinion of how I played. Um, Ever Brian sitting over there, so I better give him a mention. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's every, every coach brings something different, so uh, yeah. you pick up pieces along the way. What do you think it was about your play that made coaches and scouts notice you? Uh, I think as I was younger, I was just definitely honest, so I'd always, like, no matter what, you're getting at least a 6 out of 10 from me. Because uh, I'll just work it. If my touch is off, if I'm playing poorly, I just back it up by just running all over the pitch. So I'll be quite fit and quick, so I can sort of get by on that. And then now I have that baseline of if I'm getting 6s, and then it's how high can I push? Can I start getting 8s, 9s out of 10s? So uh, definitely that. Uh, who's the best player you've ever played either with or against? With, um, I think there's a guy called Neil Ferruja up in Shamrock Rovers. He's just been had a tired time with the injuries, so hasn't really kicked out. I thought he was going uh, to the top, uh, but he's just been unlucky with injuries. And then against, pro- the best player at the minute is your man Erling Haaland when I was playing in the UEFA League. Uh, so that's a nice one to keep in the back pocket. Um, and then, but oh, he wasn't actually that great. We sort of marched him out of the game. So uh, I think Jack Byrne was tough to play against. He's just so one of those players that's so silky and just so hard to tackle. He's just d- ducking underneath you and everything. And so he was definitely a great player as well. Uh, how did you find the right balance between college work and training? It's tough. It is tough. Uh, I think sometimes. Because you look at you might look at your your college mates doing all their college work, and then you're looking at your football mates doing purely football. So it's hard to try get that a uh, mix. But I think UCD just help help you out a lot. Like I've had I've had to do exams down uh, in like the Radisson and Cork before we play Cork like two hours later, and uh, they have able to move exams around for me. So that does help. Um, but it is tough. You just have to sort of set time aside for both I think and just be like listen I'm doing my college work now and then I'm off to football later
Not only has there been international men's action recently, but the Irish women's team have been playing some good football, with wins against Australia, Finland, Sweden in their World Cup qualifying group. Earlier this week, we got the chance to catch up with the Republic of Ireland women's coach, Vera Powell. Here is what she had to say. So thank you again for coming on the show and for doing this interview. Um, I'll just go straight into the questions. So you were a very successful player. You gained 89 caps for your country, the Netherlands, and you had a great club career as well. Um, so after your playing days were over, what inspired you to get into coaching? Um, when I was playing, it was still an amateur sport, so I had to earn my money. And I decided very early, actually at primary school already, um, to go into sports and to do all my education in sports. So I first went to the University of Physical Education and after that to specialize myself in the Institute of Sports. Um, so I had a very broad theoretical basis before I started to coach. And then during the end of my career, um, I already coached uh, youth teams, district teams in the Netherlands. Uh, because that was my job, and I did um, policy preparation for Amateur League in the Netherlands. So it was for about a million players, men and women. Um, so in the moment that I stopped playing, and we moved to Scotland, because my husband is Beth van Lingen, the former assistant of the coach Dick Africa. Yeah. Um, we came there, and Craig Brown, the technical director of Scotland, asked me to jump in and become technical director and national coach. And that combination, because he knew me from my work uh, for FIFA and UEFA already, and that was all policy related. Um, so that's how I started coaching. And for me, it was a very natural step and already prepared. And I actually was already experienced before I ever took a team um, at the national level. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, you started off as technical director of the Scotland of the Scotland national team and then you moved in as head coach. And no, it was a combination. A combination. From the start, yeah, from yeah. the start, a two-way uh, two team. Okay, yeah. Um, so was that hard to juggle both roles at the same time or were you? Um, was it? did you find it easy? No, it was um, a very easy process because we started at the Scottish FA brand new. Uh, that was the moment they took women's football on board. Um, so it was an empty sheet in front of me. Um, we had a desk, we had fans and that was it. Okay. And we started. <laughs> so yeah. we built the programme. I was already very experienced in, in setting up a policy for developing the game because that was my work in the Netherlands with those million uh, amateur players. Um, and from there we worked and we got all the different groups together uh, around the table and we built a structure in Scotland that we're still benefiting from. Yes, yes, absolutely. And talking about how the women's game has grown and how there's now a huge demand for women's football from fans, players and pundits worldwide. Mm -hmm. And Irish football has taken a huge step forward uh, mm -hmm. recently with the team getting their first sponsor and also abolishing the pay gap between the men and the women, which was long overdue. So how exciting is it to see the women's game become more and more in demand? Um, it's fantastic to see, but we grow fast, and by times we maybe grow too fast. So we also have to stay realistic in the demands that we can put on players. Um, we have an amateur league in Ireland. So if you demand from the players um, a daily professional behaviour, you have to put something against that. And that is not only equal payments, that is just a start. Um, but it's especially creating the opportunities for players to train more um, and to develop on the higher level. So what we've done is, next to the two times training in a week from the club, uh, to get the players connected with boys teams um, and then high-level boys teams so that they can train extra under high pressure. And once a month, we bring the best players together, the ones with potential from under-17, under-19 and the women's age squad. And we have, we always call it the boost in football conditioning uh, with the players centrally in Abbottstown. And I think that combination together with uh, the fantastic growth of the players who are playing abroad is bringing the success at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really showing on the pitch with that recent victory. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was amazing. It was really, really a great match, and we were all very happy and delighted with the result. So well done. Thank you. Um, more going into your background, you were obviously an experienced coach, having been in management um, for almost 25 years, and coached Scotland, the Netherlands, South Africa, Russian, Houston Dash, and now the Republic of Ireland. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your most successful moment as a manager? Um, the most successful moment is, of course, uh, the bronze medal for the European Championship with a team that had never qualified before for any final tournament. 
that was in 2009 with the Netherlands. Yes. But the most fetching moment and probably the highest achievement was qualifying for the Olympic Games with South Africa, a team when I arrived was on technical level, really at under 12 level. Wow. Uh, but very talented. They were uh, street footballers and within two and a half years we reached the Olympic Games and not only that, uh, we had to play uh, Sweden, uh, China and Brazil and all of the games we were almost equal, we just missed that little edge at, at the front and every game until the injury time we were pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, uh, we were knocked out in the group phase, but um, we astonished the world with our play over there. Uh, we played USA as a friendly just before the Olympics, um, and they said it was the most challenging game that they had so far in their whole preparation. Uh, we lost 1-0, uh, a good goal, uh, a bit early in the game, but until injury time, we, we put USA under pressure. Um, so that phase has been the most touching moment because the improvement was really coming from deep down from the toes and the heart. And I must say that I feel that the same is happening here in Ireland. Uh, it is coming from somewhere very deep down inside and in a togetherness uh, and a trust to each other. We raised to higher heights than the let's say, the sum of the qualities that we have in the squad. We have a few um, high potentials, a few uh, international top-level players, but our core strength is to bring that into into teamwork in a way that the strength is coming out and we eliminate our weaknesses. Um, and that is more than the sum of the individual qualities. Yeah, and that's really the quality and the improvement is really showing in recent results. And obviously you've got World Cup qualifiers next week, so we wish you all the very best of luck with that, Mrs. Powell. Thank you Thank very you. much for coming on the show and we really appreciate your time and best of luck from everyone here at BlackRock. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, so, Dara, how do you think the team will get on the fixtures against Slovakia and Georgia in the coming weeks? Um, I think when we, we were doing those matches a few weeks ago, and I suppose um, what what people who know a lot more about it than I do were saying is, look, they're, they're two matches that we need to win, and we need to win them well and kind of make a statement that, you know, we're... we're we're in pole position for second. I know you might think that's defeatist, but look, Sweden are the, you know, just one of the favourites to win the the World Cup. Um, so you know, I think it's it's um, it's being realistic that it's about second and getting into a playoff, and we're in really good shape to do that. But I think the the team and that will be the target that Vera will have set for the group. Okay, let's win these two matches and win them well and make a bit of a statement that you know what we're as I say, we're in pole position for second. And like the team, you know, again, we're talking about the men's team and the, the graph kind of pointing up. The graph with the women's team is certainly pointing up. And they've had some, you know, disappointments from the European Championships. They won't be there. They should be there uh, next summer, which is is a real shame. But, um, you know, they, they had a tough summer in terms of the opponents that Vera selected for them. Teams all inside the top 20 in the world and um, you know the, the, some of them didn't go so well but the win over Australia who I think when we played them they were 11th in the world was a massive confidence boost and um, like that has certainly changed things and you look at even what they did against Sweden you know the Swedes found them so hard to play against so hard to break down uh, and you know it, it's, it's, um, it's, been, it's been a good period for the team but I do think, and look, as I say, they are the, the sort of standards and the, the, the targets that they will have set for themselves, that they'll want to score several goals over the two games um, and win both of them and just kind of go into the end of the year in great shape in terms of uh, this, this second-place qualification. Uh, women's football continues to grow massively in Ireland, as seen with the Republic of Ireland women's team getting a massive sponsorship by Sky. What more can be done to grow the women's game in Ireland? 
Um, well, look, I suppose it, it, it's, there's a, a, like the men's game, a lot of money needed, um, you know, but I think you look at the growth of, of the game itself as all age groups across the country, uh, and it has just exploded a lot like, um, you know, women's Gaelic football, which is huge, or ladies' Gaelic football, I should say, women's soccer, ladies' Gaelic football. Um, but, you know, I, I, like the, the profile that that team has has given the game in this country and even when the results weren't going well this, the matches were still on the TV and um, they were treated in the same way as the men's games were and have been for quite a while since you know I suppose the, the, we did the World Cup in 2019 and that was the start of the the sort of the explosion of coverage that there's been and you know you like the, the sort of the likes of Katie McCabe and that sort of thing playing in the team Leanne Kiernan go right through the team Louise Quinn um, you know, fantastic footballers. You know, Denise Connolly. You know, all of all of those um, players have big profiles now around the country. Um, and you know, the likes of Megan Campbell, who was with Man City and now is at Liverpool. Um, and you know, she has a big profile as well, and is actually fantastic at uh, as being an analyst, an, an analyst on the TV. Um, so you know, look, I think we just need to keep nurturing it, getting as many girls playing it as possible. There was one thing actually that, that struck me the night of the Australia match, uh, where we did it in Tala. The director at the end cut up a shot of of it, it, like hundreds of young girls with their phones and young boys as well, but standing at the side of the pitch with their phones looking to get pictures of the players. And it was just, they were brilliant shots. And, like, that's what it's all about for, for you know, for these young players. Their heroes were out on the pitch, and their heroes are also very accessible um, and very amenable to, to, you know, getting photographs taken and, and autographs and all that, so, that sort of thing. So they're great ambassadors for the game in this country, that whole group led by Vera. Um, they're a very strong group. They're a very likeable group. And, um, you know, they deserve every success that is coming their way. And hopefully that will mean that they'll be a first time to qualify for a major tournament. The World Cup is a big ask, but these are the sort of um, situations that they've put themselves in and that they want to be in. You know? So after a two-week break, the Premier League is back on our screens this weekend. Uh, what have you thought of the league this year and who do you feel will win the title? Oh, wow. Um, OK, the title, I... <laughs> Liverpool, Chelsea, Man City, and I don't know... Uh, who who separates those? Um, if you, I might have a kind of sneaking feeling for Chelsea, um, because I think Liverpool, who I love watching, and the three boys up front, they just they're they're absolutely incredible. When you have those three guys, particularly Mane and Salah, and they'll just score you a truckload of goals, you have a chance of winning uh, every match you play. Um, I think there's you know maybe they needed to to perhaps splash the cash a bit. Wijnaldum is a player that I don't think they've properly replaced. Um, I should be looking, you're the Liverpool fan. Um, the, a player that, that, you know, they haven't properly replaced and there he is warm in a bench at PSG and it's just a shame, but hey, that's what happens. Chelsea have a really good manager, like the other two clubs, um, and I think, you know, that there's a good balance about them. If they can get Lukaku scoring goals again, like the rest of the team is, is rock solid and filled with brilliant players. City, you just don't, like they just play phenomenal football all the time. Um, lack of a goal scorer, maybe they might get Harry Kane in uh, in January. I'm not so sure. Uh, they tried to get him before, and things kind of seem to fall apart. But okay, he's able to Pep at times is able to come up with things and ways of getting around not having a natural goal scorer, the false nine thing, and all that jazz. But um, I wouldn't um, put. Man United in that mix, sorry, because um, I just, well, look, they've been compelling to watch and all the stuff off the field 
and the Ronaldo thing and the Solskjaer thing and I read this morning Zidane now supposedly is warming to the idea of taking over will it be Brendan Rodgers he's still in the job you know but he's had a shocking run of, of form they've no midfield you know all of that stuff but they're they're incredible to it's a compelling story to watch because you just don't know what's going to come next with, with Man United I've loved it really enjoyed the, the football so far Ronaldo all of that stuff uh, it's been it's been great so far and there's a lot more to come yeah, so um, just what do you think of the Newcastle takeover, and do you, do you think it's good for the Premier League? I I don't I I have, it didn't and doesn't sit well with me. Um, but there are a lot of other people who feel the same, and um, you know it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one to sort of articulate. Like um, you know Newcastle fans did not like the previous owner, and they wanted him out of there for a long time. Steve Bruce got a really tough time of things there now maybe people say at times he didn't make it easy for himself but um yeah it's just it it doesn't sit well um but we'll see like you know i don't know what way that story's going to go and how like will will eddie Howe be able to keep them in the division um like that's that's the big thing and then you've bought you've spent 300 million quid on uh, a team that's in the championship and maybe they might get straight back out the following year um, you know there have been all these mad things about it people I think it was Graham Sooness said well, they should set up a training ground in London um, and have their players because he, he was suggesting that maybe you know some of these players might not want to live in the north uh, northwest of or northeast of England should I say or up that, that part of the country um, that it's so far away from the bigger cities and all that stuff look I've been in Newcastle it's a fab city but this was something that he suggested so you have all these really strange things going on um, with with us but the big challenge is going to be to get them to stay in the Premier League because um, like the, even the valuation of the club not that the, the owners would be that bothered about it but it just delays their project and their ambitions by a further season if they end up in, in the Championship you know and just um, one last quick question are you Ollie in or out? Am I Ollie in or out? Um, I'm Ollie don't know because and uh, like, you see, like if they if they were to get rid of him now, who's going to take over? Um, he could still get them into the next round of the Champions League, and okay, a lot of that is to do with Ronaldo. Um, but I don't have that, you know, strong an opinion on it. All the speculation about other managers, you would like to think in any club if they're thinking of getting rid of their manager that they have a plan in place to go, you know, ready to to go um, for after that. It doesn't appear that that's the case. They've missed out on Conte. Um, he's obviously gone to Tottenham. And people were saying, oh, I don't know if he's the right fit for Man United. I don't know, I don't know what that means anymore because Man United have not won the league since 2013. Um, you know, you're heading for 10 years without it and um, they seem a long way away from it. So, you know, I thought the Mourinho thing would work a lot better than it did, to be honest, but maybe they should have got him a little earlier than they actually happened to get him. Maybe it was a few, maybe, you know, when he went back to Chelsea the second time, that was perhaps the, the moment that he um, would have perhaps done better at Manchester United. So, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, we, we'll see what way it pans out. You would like to think that a big, you know, multinational, multi-billion pound operation would have a plan in place if they do decide to get rid of him. Um, you know, but we'll see, I think that's not going to happen in the short term. As I say, he could get them into the group stages of, or the, the knockout stages of the Champions League and that would give him a certain amount of currency with the supporters and also with um, the board. OK, so now it's time for the quiz between Mr O'Brien and the captain of the senior soccer team, Max Mooney. 
hosted by Jack McSherry and Jack Gormley. And uh, now it's time for our quiz with Max Mooney, the senior soccer team captain, and Mr. O'Brien. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, let, listen, let the youth go first, let Max go first. Alright, who's the Premier League's top goal scorer? Currently. Not like ever. Go for Van Nistelrooy. No, uh, Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer. Who scored the crucial goal to put Ireland through to the 2016 Euro knockouts? The Euro knockouts? In 2016. Oh, in the competition itself? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, it was there. Brady. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, how many Premier League titles have Man United won? Keep the score, don't forget to yeah. keep the score. Have Man United won? Yeah, Premier Leagues. This is going to have to be a guess. Yeah. Um, five? Thirteen. Five. Uh, I was just thinking. I don't know. Who has the most red cards in Premier League history? There's three of them. You only need to get one. Tough question. I had a blank here. We need an answer. Midfield, centre half. I'd say Richard Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Then Duncan Ferguson and Vieira with the other two. I was thinking of Vieira, but I didn't know. Yeah. That's two 0 me. That's some answer, wasn't it, Max? You have to give me that one, like. Who scored the most World Cup ever goals ever? Most World Cup goals ever? It could be anyone. Cause... That's a difficult question now, I must say. Yeah. You have to go for some random. Thierry Henry. Yeah, no, close. 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 Yeah, Germany. That's right. Close. Who scored the winner in the 2014 World Cup final? It's me, isn't it? Oh, for yeah. God's sake. Like. 2014 World Cup final? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Denzel 17. Benzema. Oops. Ah, it was a Germany win. Germany got that. Off the bench. I wouldn't have got that. Okay. Who scored for Man United in the 1999 Champions League final? What is this? Slick one. That's so <laughs> easy. That's so easy. 90, okay, say it again. 90. Who scored for Man United in the 1999 Champions League final? I just want to make one point here, Max, before you answer that. They're not asking me any of the United questions. Ronaldo? No. 99. Solskjaer. Solskjaer and Sherry. And Sherry them. I haven't a clue about United's history. Don't want to know about United's history. <laughs> okay. Name three players who have won at least three Ballon d'Ors. Well, you got Messi, you got Ronaldo, and then Ronaldinho. No, uh, Johan Cruyff. Oh. Uh, that, was that was an easy one there. You would do that twice. Name three football rivalries outside of Britain. Are you for real? The like Derby's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Milan Derby? Yeah. Um, Rovers, Bohemians. Yeah, that's a good answer. And um, Boca Juniors, River Plate. You could have said that, Clasco. No, is that a Derby? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a big game. But is it a Derby? Uh, it's a derby. Technically, it's, Technically, it's not a Derby. Yeah, yeah, it's a big game. Liverpool and Derby. Yeah, he didn't say that. Yeah, they are. Okay. Derby. Okay, so it's 2-1, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, to me. Who is the most capped Irish player? Yeah. Robbie Keane? Yeah. That was difficult because it could have been someone like Niall Quinn or it could have been a duffer. Great answer, Mr. O'Brien. 3 1. Who was the 2010 World Cup final between? Spain and. I'm going to go with Germany. Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have got that, Max, to be honest with you. Uh, who's the only player in his position to win the Ballon d'Or? That was a goalkeeper. Easy enough one here. So yes. I'm going to say 
Manuel Neuer. Levy Ashen. Who? Levy Ashen. USSR. How's that? How's that easy? Oh, don't know who Yashin is. Don't play enough FIFA. I don't play. Is he still playing football? No, he's. Dead. He won it in like 1960. Okay, I thought Neuer was a good guess. Go on, anyway. And he was a goalkeeper. Yeah. Who won the first ever World Cup in 1930? That's so easy. Yeah, yeah. Very easy. It actually isn't like I just haven't a clue. Um, go Brazil. Uruguay. Uh, Uruguay. Yeah, it was in Uruguay. We've got a tough one here. Uh-oh. What Spanish club's nickname is the Mattress Makers? The Mattress Makers? Yeah. Wow. Uh, Valadad. Real Valadad. Atletico. Atletico Madrid? Yeah. The match, or what's the, what's the no idea. thinking behind that? You didn't do any research, no? Probably no. made matches. If you're, if you're a good broadcaster, Jack Gormino, you would have had to say on the reason why they're mattress makers is. Anyway. Hey, who is the longest standing player at one club in Europe's top five leagues? I'm going to give you a hint here, Max. It's not. It is. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I didn't get it right. Mark Noble. Yeah. yeah. Oh, great answer. I would say Messi. Yeah, recently changed. But you said it recently changed. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought you meant you recently changed club. Sorry, that's what I got. Great answer. Do you know who the person before him was? Messi. Messi. At Barcelona, yeah. Right, go on. It's 3 2 to me. How many teams were in the Premier League in its first season? That's me. How many many teams? In the Prem in the first season? Eighteen. Twenty-two. Ah, I was going to say that. They were the first British club to win the Champions League. That's so easy. Liverpool? Celtic. Celtic? Yeah. yeah. Like what? 1967. 67. Uh, sorry, how many, what question are we on here? Uh, one question, number 19. Of 30. Yeah. yeah, we got three, two points. No, no, not Okay. What two non-English clubs have played in the Premier League? Is that, that's who, is it? What two non-English clubs? Oh yeah, it's easy. Swansea and Cardiff. Yeah. 4-2. Why do some British clubs have triangular rather than square corner flags? Oh, I know that. It's usually it's usually to you, Max, though. Why do some triangular over square? Yeah. So if you look at the corner flags, in some teams they're triangles and some teams they're squares. Something to do with the pitch design or something? No, FA Cup. You win an FA Cup. Anyway, I don't get a I don't get a I don't get a point for that. So still four two to me. Uh, who won, who's won more out of Clasicos, Barca or Real? Real. Yeah. Who did Aguero score against to win Man City? Uh, yeah. yeah. What's that, 5-3? Okay, keep going. What is the only country to play in every single World Cup? Every The only country playing every single World Cup? Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to say Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Thought that was pretty, but it could they could have missed it. Germany or something. What teams won the Euros without qualifying for? That's so easy. Denmark. No. Nope. Greece. Greece. Oh. Greece. Yeah. yeah. What was? Why am I thinking Denmark? Was some year Denmark? Denmark won the Euros, but they, but they had to quali- Back then, you had to qualify to, into the competition. Where Greece, it was a free, the free shot. So six three to me. Uh, two English players have won the World Cup Golden Boot, but who are they? Jeff Hurst and Mike Long. No. Who? Kane and Lineker. That was such a bad answer by me. <laughs> that was a really bad answer by me. Uh, what team did Barcelona sign Lionel Messi from? River Plate. New no. old boys. 
When was That's the inaugural Premier League season played? Like when was called the Premier League? Uh, <coughs> uh, 91, 92. 92. 99. 92, 93. Ah, Evan, that's so bad. What country has appeared in three World Cup finals but have never won one? Ooh, that's a good question. The Netherlands? Yeah, it is. That's a great answer. Six five. That's a smashing answer. Back. Six five, is it? Yeah. Oh no. How many questions left? Two. Two. So one for me, one for him. Yeah. But he started. Oh, then that's one that we missed. We'll go back and find it. Okay. Uh, three countries have won the World Cup twice. Who are they? Oh, no one. Have won it twice, just twice. Yeah. So no more than no twice. More than twice. Oh wow. Spain and. No. Who was it? Argentina, France, and Uruguay. I was going to say France. I was going to say Spain and France. This is an easy one. Ah. <laughs> Who scored the fastest ever goal in Premier League history? Shane Long. Yeah, 6-0. So, yeah. like, my last question. Yeah. But if you get this wrong, that can have a go after the win. Okay. Oh, no, it should be a tiebreaker. Okay, I well, wasn't able to ask the ones I know. We'll, we'll find wrong. a special tiebreaker question. Yeah, was, um, what question? Not Man United related, by the way. Okay. okay. Who scored the winner in the 2010 World Cup? Iniesta. Yeah. Get I said it earlier, that's why. Get in there! I wouldn't have got that if you said it earlier. Uh, Max, why are we skipping? Thanks, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Before we go, we have six quick questions we'd like to ask you, Dara. Okay. So, first up is, what is the favourite stadium you've ever been to? Oh, New Camp. Um, so, Shane Long's goal against Germany? Yeah. Or Robbie Brady's goal against Italy? Robbie Brady. If you're stuck on a desert island with one for football personality, who would it be? Maradona. Right now, who are you taking, Mbappe or Haaland? Mbappe. Who is the best pundit you've worked with? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> who was right last Thursday, Liam Brady or Richie Sudler? They were both right. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly... The Aviva Roar or the Lansdowne Road Roar? Now, that's a good question. Um, I Listen, I, I, let's go with the Aviva. That's what I remember in recent times, although the Lansdowne Roar was pretty massive, but the Aviva is catching up. There's no doubt about that. Unfortunately, that's all we have time Aww. for today. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to thank our special guest, Darren Maloney, for joining Thanks, us today. And you. to everybody who made the show happen. Thank you all for listening. Mirform is very happy to sponsor Talking Sport on Blackrock College Radio to support the St. Vincent de Paul Christmas Appeal, helping the families and children who are most in need during this festive season. Thank you, Sports Show, for that interesting segment on soccer. And special thanks to Dara Maloney for the interview and Nearform for sponsoring the show. Welcome to Blackrock College Radio Afternoon on 97.3 FM. Coming up next is the 4-2 Religion Show. But before that, a word from our upcoming Christmas tree sale in aid of SVP. And this show is brought to you by our proud sponsor, Blackrock College Christmas Trees, in aid of St. Vincent de Paul. If you are interested in buying a Christmas tree, please find more information at blackrockchristmastrees.com. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our 4-2 Religion BCR show on homelessness in Ireland. Today we are going to raise the awareness of homeless, the homelessness crisis in Ireland. 
The topics we are going to cover on this show are the latest homelessness figures in Ireland, August 2021, the impact of COVID-19 has on the homelessness community, the ho- and the housing first mo- model. Homelessness is a huge worldwide problem, according to the Department. According to the Department of Housing monthly homelessness report, August 2021 in Ireland alone, there were 6,023 people counted as being homeless in Ireland. This is 0.08% of the total population. 66% of the 6,023 homeless people are male and 34% are female. In Dublin, there are 4,220 homeless adults. This is 70% of Ireland's homeless population. One of the root causes of homelessness in Ireland stems from the country's poor supply of affordable housing. The percentage of households renting privately owned homes has doubled in demand over the past decade, limiting the available housing and causing rent prices to climb. We see evidence of this as 55% of the Irish population are aged 25 to 44. People in this age group are not not and possibly cannot earn enough to pay for housing in Ireland. If property prices continue to raise like this, unfortunately we will only see homelessness in Ireland. Other causes of homelessness are unemployment, poverty, lack of affordable health care, racial inequality and domestic violence. COVID-19 has had a significant impact on the homelessness community in Ireland. It was stated by Focus Ireland in their article, COVID-19 and building a society where we can all have a home to put in, that the COVID-19 pandemic puts people who are homeless at risk, disproportionate risk. Not only are they more likely to have underlying health issues, they are unable to follow the key recommendations, such as wash your hands regularly, stay at home, and keep social distance from other people. We are going to examine the negative impact that COVID-19 has had on the homelessness community and how it may have some unforeseen positive impact. Through our research, we have seen that the homelessness community are disproportionately more at risk from the the dangers of COVID-19. This is for a variety of reasons, such as increased